0: You know, today is actually a very uh, particularly happy Sabbath for me because uh, you remember me talking about my parents, saying I have a big, tall, white, Italian dad and a small, itsy-bitsy little Filipino as a mom? Well, they've traveled all the way down from Canada, and they're here with us today. I want to point them out right now because they're my parents. (laughs) Yeah, they're here in the front. They're here in the front. There's a funny story you gotta ask Pastor Chad about my mom, because the reason I'm here in Maryland from Canada started with my mom. It's a very funny story, Uh, but I don't wanna get into that. Today, we're looking at the Word of God and glorifying God, part two. Last week, we briefly looked at how we can glorify God, not just by what we believe, not just how we behave, but how we feel about God. And we learned that if we're not satisfied with God, we can fail to glorify God. And we learn that satisfaction, it doesn't come from our circumstances, but satisfaction comes as we dwell close to the presence of God. And we ended with that powerful quote from John Piper that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Today, in part two, we're going to look at an obstacle that took place in one of the greatest men ever to be born of a woman, an obstacle that almost stopped him from glorifying God, and an obstacle that we share as well that sometimes gets in the way of receiving the blessings that God has for us and giving God the glory he deserves. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them with me to the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 3. And I'm going to do it the good old-fashioned way that when you have your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, that you say, Amen, so I know you're there. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible this morning. It's right in the middle uh, there. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. The Bible says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but will burn up with the chaff with unquenchable fire. Verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, John, allowed him, Jesus. When he had been baptized, Jesus came immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We'll take a pause right there, but keep your Bibles open. You know, one of the things that strike me to this day, is that Jesus spent 30 years on this planet unknown, unrecognized, and unappreciated for the person that he was. I mean, yes, there was that moment in the miracle at his birth in the beginning. And yes, there was a scene at the temple at the age of 12. But for the most of his life, Jesus spent 30 years, God with us unrecognized. We know that he grew up in a small town called Nazareth, but northwest of the city uh, or the town of Nazareth was a capital of the region called Sepphoris. Archaeologists have discovered it, and if you've ever heard of the Mishnah in the, uh, the writing Jewish writings, that's where the Mishnah was put together in Sepphoris. And archaeologists have discovered there an amphitheater where there's over 3,000 people could fit. But when Jesus decided to come into the uh, world and to glorify himself, when the prophetic clock had ticked to its conclusion in Daniel 9 and the Messiah, the most anointed one was to be, uh, the Messiah was to be anointed, Jesus didn't decide to glorify himself in Sipporah's, or later where the capital was moved to in Tiberias, but he chose the strangest place to, be, to make himself known to the world as the Messiah. The Bible says that he went to the Jordan, to the wilderness, to the dirty river in the Jordan. You know, I want you to be aware of where God is trying to glorify himself in your life. Because sometimes we look to the grand stages of life. But often Jesus likes to glorify himself in the wildernesses of our Christian experience, in the mundane moments of life. You know, Jesus is there and he glorifies himself in the wilderness. But what's amazing about this passage, and we'll get into the tension of it, is that Jesus almost wasn't glorified. An obstacle stood in his way. The Bible tells us that John the Baptist, he's preaching in the wilderness to prepare Jesus' way. People are coming to him to be baptized, to repent of their sins. And Ellen White, as she talks about this scene in Matthew chapter three, she says that as they hear John the Baptist preach, they start thinking in the back of their minds. Could John the Baptist be the Messiah? We've never heard someone speak like this before. And John, as he's preaching, he gets the sense that this is going on. And we pick up in verse 11, where he says, Indeed, I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier, greater than I am. And then he says this one thing that stops me in my tracks, and I hope it stops you this morning, where he says, Who I am not worthy to carry his sandals. It's interesting because Jesus later on says that John the Baptist was the greatest man ever to be born of a woman. And the greatest man ever to be born of a woman, according to Jesus, feels unworthy to do the menial task of carrying some flip-flops, of doing the small act of untying the sandals of Jesus. In the Greek, our word here this morning is "ukikanos," and it stands for a few things. Not worthy, not considerable, not sufficient, not enough. Have you ever felt that way? Not considerable, not worthy, not sufficient, not enough? You know, sometimes when we, feel these things, not only do we not glorify God, but we miss out on the blessings that God has for us. Today, we're not talking about a godly humility. We all need that. But today, we're talking about a poor self-image, a poor self-esteem, a self-loathing where, as Mark said, you can't even look yourself in the mirror and be happy with what you see. See, when we don't think we're beautiful, we don't go out in public and look people in the eyes. And we don't experience the blessings of friendship and relationship that Jesus wants for us. When we feel like we're not worthy, we don't dare go to our boss and ask for a raise. When we feel like we're not smart enough, we don't pursue the God-given calling that God has placed in our life. And sometimes we can feel so bad about ourselves, so unholy that we won't even get down on our knees to pray. Sometimes we can feel so disgusted with our mistakes that we won't even come to church to worship in the presence of God. You know, as a young uh, teenager studying theology, I cannot tell you how many times as a young man, I almost quit studying religion to become a pastor. Not because the academics were too hard. Uh, It's quite doable, actually. But Every pastor I saw growing up as a kid, maybe this was your experience too, was so perfect all the time. Everything they said was so polished, like a practiced politician. Anything that they did was always good. Every Sabbath was always happy, even if it was miserable. Every day was fine, even if it was gloomy. And I thought to myself, listen, I love Jesus. I'm not doing anything crazy. I want to preach the gospel but I'm not good like them. I'm not, I can't be like that. You know, God was good to me because when I got my first call, uh, I was under a mentor who was a pastor who wasn't as traditional as most. He was open enough with me to share his faults, his weaknesses, and all the warts and what I would like to say his his true thoughts. You know, and I got to tell you, man, when you get pastors and their guarders, guard is down, we have some crazy thoughts sometimes. But he was open with me and he was honest and I saw how God could use just ordinary average people to do wonderful things for the glory of God. It was then that I learned what Corinthians says that God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong and God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise and that God chose the things that are not to put to end the things that are are so that no man may boast in the presence of God. And I learned that no matter how you feel about yourself, you can't let your feelings stop you from accomplishing your God-given mission. I got a phone call. (laughs) Uh, That's always good. you know, this is what happened in the life of John the Baptist. He is approached by Jesus, and he's asked to do one thing, to baptize Jesus. In fact, it's a crazy thing because Jesus is, I mean, John the Baptist, his whole mission in life, hear me now, his whole mission in life was to prepare the way of the Lord. And then you look in verse 14, as soon as Jesus comes, the man who was meant to prepare the way of the Lord tries to prevent the Lord from having his way. See, that's what happens when we indulge in feelings of inadequacy, in self-loathing, in poor self-esteem. We always settle for less than what God wants to give us. We prevent God from giving the blessings that he wants, and we prevent God from glorifying himself. John the Baptist, he was supposed to glorify God. But instead, he said, hold on a second. I can't let you do that in my life. You know, this past week uh, at the school, I'm going to do some bragging for for the school. God was glorified this week during the week of worship. In the middle school, Uh, A wonderful pastor came. Over 12 young middle school students decided to be baptized and give their life to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Under the leadership of Leah Soper. And under the leadership of Tim, oh, Leah Jordash, And under the leadership of Tim Soper in the high school, 17 young people decided to begin studying the Bible to be baptized. Amen. Amen, right? All the effort and all the energy that we give into supporting our school and our teachers Praise the Lord, it's making a difference. God was glorified this week. And one of the things I've noticed about when young people or old people or any kind of people like to get baptized, uh, sometimes religious folk like John the Baptist and me, we try to prevent Jesus from doing what he wants. You know, maybe you've noticed that anytime time someone's about to get baptized, someone will say or make a comment about, why that person shouldn't be baptized. I've, in fact, come to expect that anytime a young person or any person decides to give their life to Jesus, there's always some type of religious person, sometimes even myself, that tries to prevent them from having God's way in their life. They'll say to me, oh, pastor, did you know that that so-and-so is still struggling with that habit? They're saying, pastor, that person isn't good enough. They say, Pastor, do you know that so-and-so has gone through the 28 fundamental beliefs but still doesn't understand the investigative judgment? Pastor, that person isn't smart enough. They say, oh, Pastor, can you believe that that 10-year-old boy, 10 years old, is trying to get baptized? He's not mature enough to be a Christian, mature enough to have childlike faith, Every time that God is trying to have his way in the lives of people, there's always some kind of thing that tries to prevent them from coming to Jesus. You know, it's not just a local denomination problem. It's actually a church history problem. People have always tried to prevent Jesus from having his way in the life of individuals. In early church history, there was a group of priests named the Donatists, and they had stayed strong under persecution while their peers had forfeited uh, the word of God to the government and other types of moral compromises. And after the persecution came to an end, the churches got back together, and the Donatists said, oh, look, these priests, they folded under pressure. They're not good enough. And so anyone who's been baptized under these certain sects of priests and pastors, it doesn't count. You need to get re-baptized. It's not They're not good enough. You know, God's people, we're, we're always trying to prevent Jesus from having his way. That's what happens in the life of John the Baptist. Jesus comes there to get baptized. And John says, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Good idea. I know, I know, it sounds like a great idea, but you don't know how bad I am. Let me suggest to you something else. Instead of me baptizing you, you baptize me. And when we have these feelings of self-loathing and poor self-esteem, we settle for less than what God wants to give us in our life. You think of the story of the prodigal son as he's eating with the pigs and he's thinking about going back to his father. He says in his mind, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say, listen, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Hire me as a servant. See, sometimes when we don't see ourselves the way God sees us, we not only miss out on the blessings that God wants to give us, but we settle for less than what God wants in our lives. And sometimes, whether we recognize it or not, we unintentionally, hear me now, distort the glory of God. I thought of a way to illustrate this. Uh, when my uh, wife and I first got married, she always told me, under no circumstances will we ever get a dog. Dogs are hairy, dogs make a mess, their breasts stink, and they you know, don't know how to take care of themselves. And I said, okay, dear, we're not gonna get a dog. Okay, that's fine. And then <laughs> a little bit of time went by and we had a tragedy with one of our friends. And my wife saw that I was kind of moping and not feeling good. And so she said, okay, you know, you can tell you're not feeling good. And out of sympathy and out of love, she said, okay, let's get a dog. That's when, you, that's when as in a marriage, you got to take advantage when they give you the opportunity. I took advantage of the opportunity. I went on, you know, Craigslist at the time, I think. And, and I found this dog, half husky. Half wiener dog. so the giant little wiener dog. It's really cute. (laughs) And I tell you what, I love this dog. I love this dog. I taught him everything that I could teach him. Taught him how to sit. He sits. Taught him how to stay. He stays. Taught him how to uh, use the bathroom in the right place. That's good. He uses the bathroom in the right place. His name is Kobe. Named after a basketball player. So I taught him how to jump. And he knows how to jump. It's pretty amazing. He even knows how to walk uh, without a leash and he'll stay next to you. But there was one thing, guys, that I couldn't teach him not to do. Just a small little thing. I couldn't teach him not to bite anyone. (laughs) Little problem. Whenever we had friends over, he'd bite them on their hand. Whenever he would... Uh, we'd have family members over, he'd jump, and he'd bite them on their arm. And I tried, God knows I tried, to teach this dog not to bite. I did all these weird things that you do to get dogs to be submissive. It didn't work. I thought, uh, if you take a water gun, and I started to spray him in the face whenever he tried to bite, I thought that would work. It didn't work. He just is scared of water. And, you know, I tried all these things. One day... <laughs> We were were at uh, home and and someone was coming into our house and my wife was holding on to Kobe. And as they were coming inside, uh, he started to bark and go crazy. And this is when he crossed the line. He turned around and he bit Amy, my wife, right on her thigh, deep into her leg. And you know how messed up I am. When I found out about it, I said to Amy, What did you do? You know that dog doesn't live with us anymore. (laughs) He lives with my parents. (laughs) Uh, But what am I trying to say? Listen, listen. When you see a bad dog, or you see a misbehaving child, your first impression is not to think, what a terrible dog. If you see something on your yard that's not supposed to be there, you don't think, what a terrible animal. In your mind, you think of, who's the owner of that? <laughs> Who would let that dog be that way or that child be that way? And now hear me, when we have poor self-esteem, when we have poor self-image, when we are self-loathing, we begin unintentionally to distort God's image in our life and in the world. Because the Bible says this wonderful thing that we were created in the image of God. And so what that means is the closest thing that looks like God is you. And when you pick at yourself and put yourself down, you unintentionally distort the glory of God. A poor self image distorts God's image. And so, as you're going about putting yourself down, unintentionally, you put God down. You say, oh, Lord, I'm struggling with this addiction. There's no way you can set me free. Oh, Lord, I'm not smart enough to accomplish this task. There's no way you can use me. Oh, God, I know you want me to try this, to be a leader in the church, but there's no way you could use me like him. And without even recognizing it, as we put ourselves down and we, and we self-loathe, we unintentionally distort God's glory in the world. And we prevent ourselves from glorifying God. That's what almost happens in the life of John the Baptist. He comes, Jesus comes to get baptized. John says, listen, I'm not gonna do that. You're gonna baptize me. And then John is left with a choice. Is he gonna follow his feelings or is he going to follow Jesus out of faith? He's going to do what he feels like he should do based off of his self-loathing, or will he do what Jesus calls him to do? And you know what? I'm happy in our story this morning that Jesus, that, uh, that's uh, John the Baptist, he doesn't give into his feelings, but he gives into faith. And the Bible says that he plunges Jesus into the water. And Jesus comes out of the water and we see a picture of the glory of God that we haven't seen since the creation of the world. That as Jesus goes into the water, there's a light upon him. The same light that was seen in the creation of the world. That as Jesus goes into the water and comes out, that same Holy Spirit in the form of a dove hovers over the waters in the Jordan. In the same way, it hovered over the waters in creation. And that same voice that once spoke the world into creation speaks about Jesus, a new glory and revelation of God, that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And you know what, guys? I woke up here this morning just to tell you one thing. That just as God is pleased with Jesus, he's pleased with you. That in Jesus, everything that is his by faith is yours. And that you're beautiful. You're worth enough. You're smart enough. You're talented enough. You're more than enough. That Jesus came and died on the cross to purchase you with his blood That's how valuable you are to him. And that to God, you are the apple of his eye. You know, before I close, I need you to know that God loves you and God thinks you're worth it and enough, not because of the things you do or the things you believe, but simply because of who you are. The Bible says that God was well-pleased with Jesus. Before Jesus had done anything of any significance, before Jesus turned water into wine, God was well-pleased with him. Before Jesus healed the, uh, healed the lame, God was well-pleased with him. Before Jesus walked on water, before Jesus... Uh, cast out demons, before Jesus raised the dead, before Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, before Jesus did anything of any significance at all, God was well pleased with him. And dear brothers and sisters, God is pleased with you, not because of what you do, but because you are a child of God. And so my appeal to you as we close this morning is very simple. Stop looking at yourself the way the world looks at you. Stop speaking down to yourself and start looking at yourself the way God sees you, that you're worthy, that you're beautiful, that you're sufficient, that you're more than enough. And just by doing that, you will glorify God in this world. Thanks for listening.